hello. Welcome to another episode of the Black Esquire podcast. I am your host, Shelly Whitehead. I am here with my lovely co-host, Michelle Jenkins. Hey, y'all. If this is your first time tuning in, the Black Esquire podcast is a platform, um, actually it's a safe space as we like to call it, um, Mm -hmm. where we discuss how to live your best life as a young black professional. Michelle, where can they find us on social media? Hey, guys. So if it's your first time tuning in, I'm Michelle. Also, the other half of the Black Esquire podcast. I'm a Chicago-based attorney who dreamed up the safe space. And we, Shelly and I, are inviting you to just come in and get comfy. And I want you to rest assured, we really appreciate you tuning in. Um, you can find more content with, re- with regards to the Black Experience in Corporate America at our website. On, at, uh, that can be found at blackesquirepodcast.com. There, we feature weekly blogs, events, and background info on this experience. On Facebook and on Instagram, you can find us at Black Esquire Podcast. While there, we invite you to join our closed Facebook group, The Fellowship, where you can get into the conversation. We really want to hear from you. Uh, it's popping in there. Um, it's lit. All of those things that the cool kids say nowadays. That's what it is, and you should join. <laughs> Our episodes can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Please like, subscribe, share, rate, comment, and tell your friends. And then tell your friends to tell your friends. (laughs) We need you to tune in and participate. So... Yes, so it is not just Michelle and I in studio today. We have another guest with us, Ms. Jasmine Guy. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I am going to read uh, Jasmine's bio. So Jasmine Guy is diversity, equity, and inclusion personified. From her race, gender, age, educational background, and social activities, every area of her life intersects diversity and inclusion. Jasmine is a beacon of light and provides hope, strategic direction, and vision to many civic organizations and boards. She is president of the Women's Board of the Chicago Urban League, secretary of the Association of Law Firm Diversity Professionals, a mentor with Polished Pebbles Mentoring Program, and a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, the National Alumni Chapter Association of Spelman College, and the National Association of Negro Women. Guy was recognized by Margaret's Village in October 2017 for her civic engagement work and named by Chicago Scholars as a 35 under 35 making a difference in Chicago in 2018. In the role of diversity and inclusion specialist at Foley and Lardner, she advises the chief diversity and inclusion partner and firm leadership on embedding diversity, inclusion, and cultural competency with the firm's day-to-day operations. She also consults with and advises senior leadership firm-wide to establish organizational priorities, including initiatives aimed at increasing diversity in client teams, leadership pipeline development, and external organizational partnerships. Jasmine works closely with Foley's Diversity and Inclusion Action Council, National Women's Network, ethnically diverse affinity groups, and other strategic teams to support the firm's commitment to diversity and inclusion. Through her work, she is helping attorneys understand their biases and their impact on decisions and is transforming firm culture. So again, Jasmine, we thank you so much for taking the time Welcome to join us. Welcome, my Spelman us. sister. Hey. <laughs> now, in true Black Esquire podcast fashion, um, what you sipping on? I am sipping on rosé. Rosé all day. Rosé <laughs> all day. And Michelle and I are also sipping on rosé, so we're just having a rosé fest up in here. <laughs> so, Michelle, what are we talking about with Jasmine today? 
So as you all know, there's no shortage of examples of diversity, sensitivity failures in corporate workspaces. Uh, recently, we've seen Colin Kaepernick arguably become sort of a poster child for fumbled attempts to appropriately prioritize diversity in workspaces, no pun intended. Um, Jamel Hill's public battle with SportsCenter is another unfortunate example of this failure on the part of large corporations. And I, you know, I could go on, but I'm sure our more woke listeners sort of get the point. Um, when we posed the question in our closed group, The Fellowship, whether diversity and inclusion officers were necessary, some opined that diversity officers are inherently sort of unnecessary in the sense that any company that can't just naturally achieve diversity isn't a company worth working at. Um, from an objective standpoint, however, diversity officers are relatively new additions to the corporate world. And according to Diversity Officer Magazine, Diversity education developed as the corporate world's direct reaction to the civil rights movement, and the pedagogy sort of sprouted roots in the 1960s. Eventually, diversity training became popular in the 1980s and 90s with the goal of protecting companies against civil rights suits. Within the last two years, following a string of PR crises, Uber, the NFL, and even Netflix are among a number of big-name companies that have, for the first time, begun to invest in diversity and inclusion professionals, um, which we're really excited about. So these differing views sort of beg the question of whether or not it's effective to have a diversity officer or only a sort of reactive measure. And so we want to sort of dive in there and, and just start the conversation there, like, what I think a lot of people are just kind of foreign to what a diversity officer does on a day to day, or what an inclusion specialist does on a day to day, and so um, I think that also sort of hinders their ability to sort of um, grasp that. So, what do you guys have to say about that? Well, I have a couple of thoughts. Um, hiring a skilled diversity and inclusion officer is only the first step. And to be most effective, senior leaders must join the diversity officers to build an organizational culture where equity, inclusion, and diversity is embedded. Otherwise, they're only setting up the diversity officer and their organizations for failure. When looking at the holistic approach to really what you're trying to solve with diversity and inclusion, what you're really getting down to is organizational effectiveness. How do we bring in the, the brightest talent for them to all be able to work together to come up with the most viable solutions, which they are, you know, better, cheaper, faster for our client base. Right. And so with that and with this understanding of people who have this holistic understanding, there are also other titles beyond just diversity and inclusion officer that organizations who really understand the root of, you know, what the problems are, are really getting to. And so now we're actually seeing positions posted like the chief talent officer, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. those people are then coming in and they're looking at that employee and they're looking at the employee life cycle, right? So they're looking at, you know, before we recruit these individuals, what do we have in place, right? What is it going, to, what do we need to do to best attract them, right? Then we look into the actual recruitment process and then we look through their whole lifespan cycle as the actual employee. So what I would say to, is to answer your question is, yes, there is important that someone is at the top who is leading strategy, 
who is monitoring what's going on and who actually has the vision and see how it is aligned with the overall organizational strategy, whether it be your diversity officer, whether it be your chief talent officer, or whether it be a culture and engagement officer. And so those are some of the titles that we now see in the industry. Yeah, I think it does, like you said, it contributes to the culture. The, I think that, that at the end of the day is the relevance of the sort of the position. It's not just that, but I think that's the biggest give, that you acknowledge that this culture is sort of a melting pot of a dump, bunch of different perspectives and a bunch of different approaches, That's and it needs someone to sort of appreciate that those differences in some respect at that top level, at the executive level, or else you kind of, for lack of a better term, like you just, you don't, you don't think about what's not in your face. And so I think it, creating an office for it sort of makes it an important, it, it puts a pin in it, so to speak. And it's important that when you say make an office for it, I think that it's important that organizations and as leaders and as people understand that, again, it should be embedded in the culture. And so these individuals need to be able to work with everyone within the organization. So within my own work that I do at my firm, I'm working with everyone in every single department at all levels, right? Because diversity and inclusion needs to be embedded throughout the organization. So that we get to a point where we're not having to call it a thing. We're not having to say, oh, that's a diversity initiative. That's an mm -hmm. inclusion initiative. Initiative. That's in our DNA. That okay. is truly who we are. We live it, we breathe it, and this is truly who we are. So then does the position have a natural like end to it? Does it have a natural end? I would say no. So I have a human resources background. So that's okay. why I said I take yeah. this very whole holistic approach um, to it. And so I say that organizations always have opportunities to, to grow and, you know, as the market changes, as the demographics of, you know, the overall outlook and landscape of the United States change, we're going to have different challenges. Someone has to help us solve those problems. Again, it can be your chief HR officer. It can be your diversity inclusion officer, whomever it may be. Someone has to oversee it, mm -hmm. you know, to really make sure that there's a strategy in place and that we're actually executing the strategy. But, uh, you know, Shelly, we were talking about this earlier, like, you know, that really is dependent upon your sort of perspective of diversity, though, really, too. I think that. Well, yeah. That, so. Right? So I guess that begs the question, then, then what is diversity? So what is what is it that you're trying to embed throughout the culture of the organization or firm that you're in? Because uh, some people view diversity very differently than others. So um, like I've worked with firms and they feel like, oh, because they have women and they have a strong women's <laughs> uh, affinity group, that that means that they're diverse. Um, other organizations feel like if they don't have enough black people, then they're not diverse. Right. Other people feel like, oh, well, we have some foreign person in India so we're 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 diverse and mm -hmm. we're doing good in diversity. So so what exactly are we talking about when we're saying, oh well, we're trying to make sure diversity is embedded throughout the organization? Mm -hmm. Are we all are we even talking about the same thing? For me, it's black people. I need it's, to see it's black, black people, people to me too. <laughs> I need and to I see feel black like people. I feel like and I don't mean to be selfish, <laughs> but that 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 is what I need to see. And if I don't see more people that look like me, if to me it's not it's not diverse in the sense that I'm not my voice isn't included. Um, and so I, 
I can't see diversity where I'm not included. I agree. And I feel like if I'm if I'm going at a and I won't just use a firm, but any corporation's website and I'm going through and look through the the employees and the people in leadership and I'm not seeing any black people, then my initial thought is, Oh, this firm's not diverse. I don't care how many white folks or how many uh women you have on the on the board or, you know, people from India and, and Asia on there. Like, if they're not black, <laughs> then, then it's not diverse. But we're not a monolithic culture. So mm-hmm. just to say I look at someone's skin and I say, oh, well, Shelly's a black girl. NJ's a black girl. Mm-hmm. We are alike. I mean, that is completely opposite. So when I think of diversity, I'm not only thinking about race and gender and sexual orientation, mm-hmm. but I'm also thinking about social economic background. Mm -hmm. Right. Because if we are all African-American women, we have not all had all of the same experiences. We have individuals who may have grown up in predominantly white environments. And so they come at, you know, to work with a different perspective Mm -hmm. than you do as an African-American woman who may have grown up on the south side of Chicago. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, I also think about age. I think of disability status. Mm. I think of veteran status. Um, I think of educational background. When we work in the workplace, we have some individuals who have some college experience, um, have no college experience, Mm -hmm. um, may have gone to the Harvard, the Yale, the University of Chicago. And oftentimes, you know, when I'm reading bios, as you said, on these company Mm -hmm. websites, sometimes I'm saying, wow, let's take race out of it. A lot of times you may not even see the picture. Take the picture out. Why am it seems like all I have to do is just insert everyone's name and it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. They went to the same schools. They all played hockey. They all played tennis. Mm-hmm. They all belong to the same professional organizations, right? Mm-hmm. They're all the same. And so therefore, when you have people who all have the same backgrounds, yeah. right, within any of those different spheres that we just talked about, you get the same perspectives, right? And yeah. so therefore, there is no one in the room who's going to warn you and say "Mm, you might want to take pause on that advertisement Gucci that may not be Mm -hmm. the lane you want to go in and so that's why I said sometimes I know that you know diversity came out of affirmative action and it was originally for African Americans right but it has expanded and now that we're in the workforce and we're having to come up with these solutions for such a very diverse Um, clientele, I think that it it really brings in all of that because even as you talk about, well, I think black, you know, an older black person, right, may have a different perspective than a younger black person. Someone Mm. who is able-bodied may think totally different than an individual with disability. And so when you're organizing that retreat, Mm-hmm. Right. You might think of this this wonderful venue and then you have someone in the room who's an individual with a disability or they have someone close to them that does. They help you to think about, wait, you really might want to take a step back because mm-hmm. at that facility, X, Y and Z. So we really need to think about that because we might have individuals who are coming who might have you know, Mm -hmm. some type of disability, we need to be able to accommodate them so that they, you know, don't feel as though they're out of place. Mm -hmm. So that brings up um, a really good point as far as how to get your organization to buy in and buy into diversity as far as, um, I lost my train of thought. (laughs) It's just buying into diversity as far as seeing it, it's valuable. Right. Well, yeah, yes. Oh, here's what this is the point I was trying to make. So, okay. as when I recruit, 
and I work with firms who claim that they want diversity. Um, and they're like, oh, yes, diversity is very important to us. But going back to your point about everyone has the same backgrounds, they were like, oh, but they have to have gone to this school. They yeah. had to have made these type of grades. If they're a lateral hire, they had to have come from this type of firm. And if they don't, we don't want to see them. Mm-hmm. So and my response is, oh, then you don't really want diversity. <laughs> so if, if everybody comes from the same, right. the same if place, the same, the same background, bio, yeah. then you're, 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 then what are you, what exactly are you saying? So how do you get um, firms to look beyond the, the resume into where did this person come from? What was their socioeconomic background? You know, what other perspectives are they bringing in that we're not? It's a business. And mm. so when it's a business, you have to come up with a business case. Why is there a need for whatever it may be? Mm-hmm. So you have to kind of start speaking the language of the CEO, the CFO. So the CFO is only concerned about what? Dollars and cents. That's what keeps him up at night. How are we going to grow our revenue, right? It's all about education and really intelligent, strategic people want to hear about data. Mm -hmm. So that's how you you start the, the conversation. Take the emotion and passion out of it and simply just say, you know, data shows us that Organizations that are more diverse not only make more money, but they're actually more innovative, they're smarter, and they retain more of their staff. Mm -hmm. And so that every time a staff member leaves the organization, we have lost X, Y, Z dollars. So in my profession, in the law firm industry, in terms of profitability on a new associate, it typically takes firms about three to four years to really make profit off an associate. So if we have associates who are leaving us after years one through three, we haven't realized our investment. Mm-hmm. That is what's important to the CEO and the CFO and other people in that organization. So it's all about education and teaching them that. And so I think that that is really, really um, important, you know, when you're actually um, trying to advocate for more diverse hires. That's a tough conversation to have, though. Like, that's, like, how do you, I guess, if you're not the diversity officer, Mm -hmm. I've struggled with even breaching this conversation because we get a lot of interns in our office and what ends up happening is um, a lot of the interns because we get them from the same classes from the same teacher um, they tend to they they were just trending towards a specific you know mold and it was not diverse at all there was very few women very few people of color coming from that particular internship and it's very valuable um, sort of experience and so I found myself struggling trying to figure out how to tell my boss, like, hey, um, <laughs> just a note, <laughs> we, we kind of keep getting the same intern over and over and would love to see um, a little more, a little bit of a mix-up there, you know? Well, I think, that some, <laughs> I think that in any situation that you're in, I think that it's always trying, it's, it's really important to figure out who are the key players and really, like, who can leverage the voice and power of the people of influence who are already leading the charge, right? Mm. So who are some advocates 
who really want to do the right thing, who have that social capital and are willing to make that risk for you. Talk to them. Find your diversity champions within the organization. Mm-hmm. What if you don't have any? Child. I, you know, <laughs> what, if you're the, what if you're the only champion? You're the only person who cares. You, you, truly, you truly cannot be the only person that cares. And I think that one way you find out what really people really care about is you have those conversations around the water cooler, right? Oh, okay. And you really get to know people on a personal level. And I think that it's so very... So you think people surprise you? People do surprise you. And I think it's very important, too, that you really do have a really good relationship with your diversity inclusion officer or whatever their title may be because they know those individuals. You know, I recently um, came across a, a roadblock within my organization, and it was really hard for me to get a particular advertisement out. And it was for a diverse organization, and it had nothing to do with the language or the graphics within the advertisement. There was something else that was going on in the background. And it was for a particular attorney. He was very passionate about it. He wanted it done. And for whatever reason, at one point, I thought, you know, this has failed. It's not going to happen. I'm not going to be able to make this happen for the person. And then I thought about it. I said, wait, this person is in power. Mm -hmm. He is positioned well. Mm -hmm. Let me talk to him. He made it happen. He told me, he says, I'm a champion for diversity. These are the things that I'm working on within my own practice group right now, which is a subset of the firm. And anytime you need for me to move some barrier for you, you give me a call. Mm -hmm. So I now have someone who has actually told me that. And I say, you know, you know I'm going to follow up on that, right? Mm-hmm. And so we sit down together, and we really try to figure out what is feasible within this environment, mm-hmm. right? So let me not try to be too grandiose, because any idea I may have may not work in this culture and in this environment. But let's work together. Let's let's have conversations about it. And And every once in a while, let me send you some articles, right? Mm -hmm. So anytime I see an article that I really think that is going to help to drive change, that's really going to make a difference, but I really think that we should go at that angle, I'm always supporting it with data, and I'm going to always keep this on your frontal lobe, and so I'm going to share with you the Harvard Business Review, whatever book I'm reading. And I know you may not have time to read the book, so I'm going to go ahead and give you a nice little summary, and I'm going to pinpoint, and these are some things that we can do here. And so I think that oftentimes when we want things done in our organization, we always have to think about who is actually receiving that information and Mm -hmm. think about what's going to be in it for them Mm -hmm. and think about what the bottom line is for the organization. I, I, I guess in my experience, it's been most helpful to sort of find, even if you can't if you can't find a champion, in situations where you can't find a champion, you find somebody that can, like, that isn't as um, connected to your well-being. <laughs> so what I mean by that is, is, so in my situation, I work at a smaller, in a smaller sort of situation. So... I couldn't necessarily go to my direct boss and my direct supervisor about it. I ended up going to the um, professor who's in charge of actually the placement of the, um, or picking the students. And so um, I could have the conversation with him just sort of on a networking basis, like, hey, let's have coffee. You know, I've really enjoyed working with your students and sort of backdoored it as opposed to, and sort of, you know, like baby stepped it as opposed to, 
trying to go to my boss like, hey, we need to make sure we have more diverse hires. Sometimes you got to um, create a, a, a strategy that isn't as direct um, because you may not have the opportunity or the backing or the data or the sponsorship to, to be as direct as you want to be. And in those situations, I think it's important to sort of think outside of the box and see if there's an opportunity for you to just have a conversation because sometimes it's just about having a conversation. You don't necessarily have to make the ask or whatever. And so my ask was literally, so how do you go about like picking the students and things? That was my ask. That was my end. It was not directly head on at the diversity conversation because I didn't think, I didn't know whether or not he would be receptive to that, you know? And so for me, um, and, the, and the next person we got was S. Feldman's sister, actually. Oh, and so that ended up working out really well. Um, I think he got my hint without me needing to be so aggre- aggressively direct about the particular topic. But that was with him. I, I know him well enough to know that he would catch my drift, mm-hmm. you know, uh, without me having to straight up say, listen. <laughs> you know and so I mean? now that you have him mm-hmm. on board... Right. Then then the next step is for him to then get other people on board. Right. Yeah, well, so so yeah, you've kind of hopefully. found maybe then your diversity champion. Maybe. And then again, just to continue to spread the word that diversity increases, you know, financial revenue or in your case, in an educational environment. Like it really, truly makes a difference in the educational experience mm-hmm. of our students. And I think, that, again, you have to really just think about, OK, so we're here to make money, or in your case, we're in an educational environment. We're here to really grow individuals and yeah. grow their ability to think and their perspective. And in order to do that, we must have a diversity of thought and perspective yeah. at the table. Mm-hmm. And so that's getting people from various different backgrounds together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I think, um, so I think in terms of that, I don't know how to, I think sometimes once you get into those positions, once you get the diverse person in those positions, they sort of, I've seen a lot of people struggle with the sort of tokenism sort of guilt and sort of imposter syndrome and things like that. Um, And I haven't, I don't, I don't, I mean, I've seen a lot of different like um, solutions for it, but I think the one thing that I, I wish I saw more of is people taking more advantage of um, situations where maybe they are not um, surrounded by diversity, but sort of are the diversity. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, uh, and we we have mutual friends or whatever who uh, are basically one of a few diverse people where they are, and they feel this pressure to be the one in front championing for diversity where really they just want to be they want to have the luxury to be able to go to work and go home like everybody else <laughs> so uh can part i of, do that can yeah i go to work and yeah, go so home? part of that is can like well, as black people, and, and, this is, and this is the black Esquire <laughs> podcast so as black people when we are the only one or one of few do we even have the luxury to be able to just sit in the background or do we always have to be the one in the why forefront? is inclusion so much work that's, that's the real it's a lot of work i have so many different things to say on okay this. please say them. so i can tell you what i feel like the role is of an african-american employee or an employee of color uh-huh. um 
And I think that is important mentoring. I don't, I don't care what color you are, what gender you are. I think that mentoring is very important. So none of us would be where we are today without mentoring. Right. And mm-hmm. so it's important that when I'm in an environment that I mentor people. Right. So I think that as if, and people who feel like it's only four of us in this organization, it's important that we, we mentor each other and we help each other. We yeah. are each mm-hmm. other's support system. I don't have to actually approach. be out here rallying for diversity and inclusion just as a regular employee. But it is my obligation. My community is looking for me to be supportive of the, the, the other people that look like me within the organization. Ooh, can I pause you? You can pause me. Do you watch Insecure? I do watch Insecure. Okay. So then the so the Molly situation on maybe that might have been two situa- two two seasons ago. I don't know. It was, was the that? first season. That was the first season when she was tasked with telling the intern about her not fitting in the culture. What was your view on that? What did you how did you do you remember that scene? I do. So I think that so you talked about, you know, imposter syndrome. We're going to go back to that. But yeah, I think that will. is really important that you bring your authentic self to the workplace. Okay. Be professional, but bring your authentic self to the workplace. Mm-hmm. So with that young lady, if I recall correctly, what she told her is, this works for me. This is who I am. Mm-hmm, and your did. look might work for you. You have to be comfortable. You have to own that space. And when people she did see do that, that you did that. are, when you are most comfortable, I really feel like that's when your light shines. Okay. You know, so I feel like whatever your most comfortable outfit is, your most comfortable work environment, that's when you're actually able to do your best work. So do you feel like the girl in that scene was in the right? Yes. To I act think, how she, how she, I think okay. so because, I, because <laughs> dressing like, Molly would have made her feel uncomfortable and then she would have felt like a fraud. There are people though who say, you know, this is my professional attire and then on the weekend you might see me in something else. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that either. But again, you have to make that decision and you have to feel comfortable so that you can be your best person. Now, I think that it was great that Molly did take her to the side and just say, because we don't know if other people, right, have been talking to Molly. I don't remember the episode that well to know if other people were talking to her. Mm-hmm. But you have to sometimes understand, like, sometimes when you get those messages from people, like, where is it coming from? Because, yeah. I, you know, in my in my capacity, I, you know, I always may have some other, you know, come to me and say, you know, I think it would come better if it comes from you. That was the, well, that was, that was the situation. Okay, yeah, so, was, do so she had mind. her white partner right. come in to say, well, the most senior, the most senior white, white female white partner, female partner came into Molly and was like, uh, would you talk to, I think the girl's name was Rashida, will you talk to Rashida about uh, yep. toning down. Yeah, her, we don't think she's fitting in. The we don't think she's fitting in. Yeah. We think it would be it would come yeah. best from you. So so basically, so and that goes back to the being the token. So Molly, because she's really the only other black person there, she had to be taxed with the opportunity. With the she had the task <laughs> of going back it, to said, Rashida. I don't want to be the black people police. <laughs> 
to tell Rashida because she was also black to be like, oh, well, yeah, girl, you're not fitting in. We need you to do better or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to what you asked earlier. Do yeah. we need the diversity and inclusion officer? Yes, we See, do that because was, that is yeah, that that's person's your job. job. That's my job. <laughs> I do this all the time. Okay. Can you go talk to so-and-so and talk about? And we can have these conversations. Mm-hmm. And then because, you know, I am a black woman, I can tell them, you know, I have I have decided to present myself this way because yeah. I want to then be projected as a leader. And I never want my outfit to be a distraction or a reason for why I can't climb up. And mm-hmm. if you decide that that you just don't care how okay, others so perceive that's the caveat. you. I was waiting for the caveat. If you don't <laughs> care how others perceive you. But you got to be willing to not care though. But. I just wanted to give you this feedback because it was brought to my attention. Mm, see, all the, the extra the extra piece of like the sort of empathy and concern wasn't really there in the in the episode, I don't think. And no, so I, think I get it. So yeah, I get it. I, I I agreed with Molly in the episode, but I can see how what you're saying could be effective as well. Um, in terms of I think it's a balance, like you said, like you have to decide what's of value to you. Do you care about that everybody's looking at you like, oh, you don't fit here? Oh my God! And do you have the do you have that luxury at this time? Can you afford for people not to care or not to not to be pleased? Because most times we can't afford for people not to be pleased. I think is the situation, unfortunately. Well, that and that brings me to my next question. You hear that a lot about fit, cultural fit, right? Uh, and a lot well, of times diversity <laughs> goes against cultural fit because yep. if you're diverse. You're technically, you're not really fitting in with the culture. So how do you get... bring your own culture. Yeah, how do you get organizations to look outside of what that cultural fit is and care about other perspectives? Well, it depends on how you describe cultural fit. So when I think of cultural fit, I think of when I go to your company's website and Mm. under, like, who are we? And we get down to what are your core values, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so you, you believe in integrity. You say that's important. You say, you know, your people are important, those types of things. Well, guess what? Those things are important to me too. Giving back to the community is important. That's what you believe in. I'm an ethical leader. So as far as I read all your values, sounds like I fit into this culture. Mm-hmm. This to me doesn't necessarily mean about skin color, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Um, and so that's how I look at it. So you focus on more so on cultural capital and sort of what the company is saying is the sort of um, day-to-day focus and moral value of it. Yeah? Yeah. What, what are their values? Who, mm-hmm. who are you? But what about the personality of the firm? Because I think that's where, yeah, that, that's when, you, when you go back to the Insecure episode, I think that's initially what they were saying was wrong with Rashida, yeah. was her personality didn't fit. Yeah, what we were looking for. Because, okay, so to refresh your memory, because you mentioned, like, that was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. So Rashida was kind of like, ooh, I hate to say Hey, girl, hey. She was very, hey, girl. She was was also very. Oh, girl, you wearing that? She was like that type of of girl. She was like um, Holly Berry off of, um, what's that show? Babs. 
Yes. Yes. yes very bad. bad. It's very, but it's very, it's very hard bad. for me to believe that they did not see that when they recruited but her. But that, that was she her said. argument. <laughs> that was her argument to Molly was like, this is how I was when they, when they, when they, they, exactly. they knew who I am. But, so they, they wanted her. So you sincerely agree. See, I didn't agree with her. I felt. I but, her, her personality, but her personality, I forgot. See, I told you, I forgot <laughs> the episode. <laughs> yeah, you did. That's why I was trying to refresh. Oh, she got fired. Yeah, she ended up being she fired. She didn't get fired. She got fired, yeah. Or at least pulled in. Or at we least pulled. Oh, well, that's, like, we don't actually all know the if partners. she was fired. But yeah, and she, she was in a big year Because Molly said, I'm not talking to her about that. I'm sorry. I'm not comfortable. So here's here's my word of advice. I'm, I'm going to get out of the, the episode. Because I don't recall <laughs> it that well. <laughs> but if you ever ask me to like recall a book, I got you. <laughs> so what I'm going to tell people is, and it doesn't matter what color you are, gender, sexual orientation, whatever, this whole concept of bringing your whole self to work, yeah. that doesn't truly mean that you can really just let down your hair and just okay. truly be all that you are, right? Okay. But it does uh, give you an opportunity to be authentic. So I'll give you an example. When I go to a job interview, you know, I might wear something that's a little bit more conservative, right? right? Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that once I get the job and I'm just going to go really crazy, but maybe the job interview, I had on brown lipstick. Mm -hmm. Now that we're at work, I'm wearing red lipstick, mm -hmm. you know. Um, again, it's not, it's not too, it's not too risque. It's not too crazy. But I feel like I'm still being my authentic self because sometimes I do want to wear that brown lipstick, and other times I really want to just glow. Yeah. You know, like she walked in the room, lady <laughs> in red. And so I think that even like your personality, um, the things in which you share, mm -hmm. you really have to be very cognizant of the environment you're in, but also understand you really can can't truly bring your entire self, right? So something for people to think about. Yeah. I think our last question that we'll have even time for on this episode to talk about is, oh, and it is our last question. I think we got to everything. Um, it's just how to leverage your diverse perspective with hiring managers. And um, I, it used to, I felt like I used to be able to say, you know, oh, well, I bring a diverse perspective to the table and because I've sort of grown in my career, now it's more so, oh, well, I have this experience and sort of my diverse perspective has kind of shuffled to the bottom. But um, are people still ever, like, I don't know, you guys would know as a legal recruiter and an inclusion specialist, um, whether or not people are still leveraging their diverse perspectives in like hiring situations or not. Is it dependent upon the, like, the, I would imagine probably depending upon the corporation, yeah? <laughs> it, it depends, really. But really, I don't see that much, y'all. I actually don't see that a lot. Right. It used to be. I feel like it used to be. I feel like I used to say that. And now it's just kind of shuffled out. And I don't know what happened to that. So you used to say what exactly? I used to say, I think I I, I used to say in my cover letter that I bring it up as a as an, um, an African-American woman, um from a low-income neighborhood and a former orphan that I bring a diverse perspective. And I maybe the other pieces had something more to do with it. But <laughs> nonetheless, I just, I would I would offer that, especially applying to, like, government jobs and things like that that involve soft skills, things like that, client-facing work. 
things like that. So I think that anything that you have that makes you unique, you should leverage Absolutely. it. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, I leverage the diversity, the diverse perspective that I bring to the table. Because, you know, as you read in my bio, you know, all the work that I do with these social organizations, yeah. I get to the root of meeting with various different people and understanding some of the challenges that they go through and listening to them and understanding truly their stories helps me depending upon what the product is that whatever organization I'm at we're trying to sell Mm -hmm. I can kind of think about that customer in mind Mm -hmm. and so it's important that we leverage anything that is unique that helps us stand out that's going to really help the organization you know drive to their bottom line yeah that's a good point Mm -mm. that is an excellent point um do we I think that's it. Is that it? Am I missing anything, Shelly? Mm-mm, that's it. Well, this has been an excellent... Thank you so much, Jasmine, for joining thank us. Thank you. We had an excellent time. Um, stay black, stay X-Fire. Bye.